finding freedom in truth, pursuing truth in scripture. This is the Mormon Hope Podcast with Brandon Vaughn and Dave Malinak. Welcome into the very first episode of the Mormon Hope Podcast. I'm Brandon Vaughn along with Dave Malinak. And I know our listeners are probably thinking right off the bat, what in the world is the Mormon Hope Podcast? Is it for Mormons? Is it by Mormons? What What is it for? And just to clarify, we are a distinctly Christian podcast. In fact, we're actually two Baptist pastors. But the thing is, we live here in northeastern Utah. We pastor here. And so we live in the heart of Mormon country. And so really, this podcast is really twofold. First of all, we want to strengthen and equip Christians to defend their faith and explain, understand their faith. You know, we're not asking anybody to have blind faith in anything. And the second thing is, is because we do live in Mormon country, and I'm sure that, you know, this is true for you, but since I've been here, I have had so many wonderful conversations with my Mormon neighbors, and they understand that we do have differences, and they're interested in hearing those differences. And so in a very real way, this is almost like us sitting down and having those conversations. Of course, in this format, we have much more time and we're able to be more detailed. And so we want to compare and contrast those things. And uh, because there is differences and even eternal differences in many areas. And so uh, that's really the purpose in all this. And I know that uh, after hearing that, our listeners probably have another question. How in the world did two Baptist pastors get in the heart of Mormon country. And uh, because Pastor Dave Malinek has been here longer, I'm going to let him explain how he got here, how long he's been here. He is the pastor of Berean Baptist Church here in Ogden, Utah. Brother, how'd you get here? Well, uh, my wife and I moved here in 1997. We were really young, um, no kids. We have five kids now, all of them born here. Um, but uh, and we had never been – my wife had been out here on a vacation once, and uh, in fact, when we were engaged, uh, she came out here with a friend, a college friend. And uh, she, when she came back, she couldn't wait to tell me about and show me all the pictures. Back then, you couldn't uh, text pictures. And um, so she told me all about it and especially loved Utah. She told me, I think Utah was the prettiest place I went. And uh, she had visited Salt Lake City and gone up in the big cottonwood canyon and uh, just loved it but and when we looked at the pictures together we said maybe someday we'll be able to go out there on a vacation and um, I had never been west of Kansas uh, in my life we were in Pennsylvania and uh, we were in ministry there for a short time and uh, that ministry ended um, very quickly and so we were really searching for what to do we thought we were going to move back to Indiana which is where I'm from. Uh, my wife is from Pennsylvania. And uh, really, uh, we had uh, planned a date to move to Indiana. Uh, when we tried to schedule a moving truck, it was too expensive um, <laughs> for us. We didn't have enough money at the time. And so I said, I need another month uh, to save up the money for this. And so during the course of that month, we got a phone call from a pastor here in Ogden, the pastor of the church I'm now pastor of, and uh, he had gotten my name through a mutual friend and found out that I was looking for a place to be in the ministry, and um, they needed a school teacher here. Um, we have a Christian school, 
and they needed someone to teach in the Christian school. And so um, the pastor called me and asked me if I would consider it. And uh, uh, to be really honest, I had to look on a map to see where Utah was um, <laughs> because I had no idea. There's no um, swinging by Utah. No, no. And uh, so I looked, and um, we talked on the phone a few times. And over the course of a week or two, my wife and I um, spent some time in prayer, asked the Lord to lead us and guide us, and um, we believed that it was the right thing for us to do to move here. And so we arrived in August, right at the beginning of August of 1997. And uh, in fact, it was such a quick thing um, that there wasn't time even to get a an apartment, and so we spent a couple weeks living with a family in the church, and uh, I was training for um, teaching, just going through the orientation and that sort of thing to teach in the Christian school here, and um, and then my wife also taught in the Christian school, and uh, we did that uh, for uh, four years. We had our first child in 1999, our second in 2001 in the spring. And in the fall of 2001, uh, our pastor um, took a trip to Fiji, where his daughter and son-in-law were missionaries. And they were there when 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. And um, our pastor, Pastor Mark Short, um, emailed me the next day. And uh, I'll never forget what he said. He, he quoted the verse in the Psalms. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Yeah. And um, he, of course, he was very concerned about our country. And uh, as all of us are or should be concerned about the direction our country was going. Absolutely. Even then at that time. And uh, But then his flight home was supposed to be on the 13th, and it was canceled because all international flights were canceled. And so... Um, he and I exchanged emails, and I planned to preach that next weekend for him. And uh, he and his boys and his son-in-law took a, about a three-hour hike to a remote um, beach um, where there were big waves, and they wanted to play in the waves. And he emailed me right before he left and said, this is what we're going to do. And later that evening, we received a phone call from Fiji that he had been swept out um, to see in a, an undertow. Yeah. And um, the waves had gone from 10-foot waves to 30-foot waves in a matter of about 20 minutes. Wow. And he panicked, and um, he was swept out to sea, and uh, his body washed up on shore about um, two days later. And so, of course, that was very shocking for us. We had just gone through 9-11. Wow. And when I go back and look at... The events of 9-11, sometimes I'm, I forget all the things that happened because it immediately went out of our mind, and we were concerned with taking care of the church and leading the church through that. Um, in a Baptist church, it's congregational rule, and so there isn't an automatic, it's not like the president and the vice president where it automatically passes to the assistant pastor. Oh, yeah. Um, I had been... I should back up and say I became the assistant pastor a few months after I arrived. Um, once I got here, Pastor Short, um, just our hearts were knit to each other, and um, he uh, didn't want me to just be a teacher. He wanted me to be his assistant. And so I became 
the assistant pastor of the church voted me to be that. But then when he died, um, the church formed a pulpit committee and over a couple of weeks, uh, probably a month, um, prayed and asked the Lord for guidance and then voted me in to be the 10th pastor of Berean Baptist Church. So essentially, your former pastor passed away like that in a situation that he would not have been in if it wasn't for 9-11. Exactly. That's that's, that's exactly unbelievable. Right. Yep. And you've been here since 97, quite longer than I've been here. Yes. Uh, I've actually got here in April, and, uh, you know, it's just amazing. The, the, the sovereignty of God is just unbelievable. And I've often heard it said that we make plans and God laughs. Mm -hmm. And in my situation, um, I pastored a, a wonderful church there in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, a little Sandy Baptist church, less than two miles from the house where I grew up in. Mm. It was really a, a dream position. I'd been there yeah. about eight years, and I actually took that over because I was the assistant pastor, and then my pastor, Ronnie Blake, he got cancer in 2013 and mm. passed away that same year. It took him really quickly, mm. and the, the church voted me in, and I had no intentions of leaving at all. Right. And in April of 2019, it's been almost two years ago now, uh, my wife fell ill with this rare chronic head condition. And without going into all the medical jargon, uh, she really struggles with migraines. And she was bedridden all the time. I mean, all of the time. My active wife, mother of three, pastor's wife, went just completely bedridden. Mm. And come to find out, even though we went all the country, went to Los Angeles, uh, Michigan, we went to Mayo Clinic in Florida, nobody was able to help her. But as it turned out, her main migraine trigger is the humidity mm. and the weather in the south. And we we took a trip out west just to you know test the theory. And it's just something about this, this area, this Intermountain West that, uh, I mean, I want to clarify, she's never been pain-free. And she does have bad days, mm -hmm. but her overall quality of life here is so much better yeah. than it was at home. And within a period of two months, the Lord worked it out to where, actually, when we were on a medical trip to Los Angeles, uh, we met a church and pastor, Lighthouse Baptist Church in Laverne, California. And the pastor, Brian Dunlop, we just fell in love with him and his family and the whole church. And they let us stay in their missionary apartment when we weren't at the hospital. And ended up letting me preach, which I couldn't believe that because we hadn't known him that long. And when he found out we were trying to get out west, he called me. And he said, Pastor Vaughn, um, there's a church in Logan, Utah, that we helped plant in 1983. We <laughs> supported them until they got on their feet. Right. Um, we know the, the man that started the church, Pastor Jerry Stonehouse. In fact, he said, I went to school with him. And he said, for the first time in 36 years, they don't have a pastor. Yeah. And I think it would be a great fit. Yeah. And so within a period of two months, we came here, interviewed, preached uh, for them, spent some time with them. They ended up later on voting us in. Within that two-month period, we got voted in, went home, found somebody to rent our house, mm. got moved, and I helped little Sandy find a replacement for me. Yeah. And in fact, uh, this is so amazing, but um, the day we left with the U-Haul was April the 14th, exactly one year from the time that my wife fell ill with a headache. And not only that, little Sandy had a scheduled revival that I had scheduled. The new pastor mm -hmm. decided to keep it, and they did it outside. They did drive-in service. That was about the time that COVID was really mm -hmm. uh, getting into high gear. And so I was able to go to that revival 
one year to the day from the time Leah got sick mm. and standing before him and tell him how much we loved him, what God had done. And we left from there with the U-Haul. Mm. And Can't so, yeah. It's probably good that you explain that you're from Alabama as well. Yeah. Because otherwise people are going to wonder what part of southern Utah you're from. Yeah. Well, uh, it's about 2,000 miles southwest of here. Or so. I guess it's southeast. My whole life, everything's been west, and now everything's east. So I have right, to, right. Anyway, but uh, so I know that the Lord is, has got us here for a purpose. Yeah. And uh, so we, we thought this would be a great way just to talk about our faith and why we believe what we believe and how we came to these conclusions, not just in a blind faith, and, and how it does differ uh, so greatly yes. from the Mormon faith. There's an old saying that things that are different are not the same. Right. And so we just want to compare and contrast those things because yeah. we're, we're concerned about truth. Yeah, and a lot of people ask me, LDS friends and so on, um, over 20-some years, we've made a lot of great relationships here. And people always want to know, what, what are the differences? What, yes. what is different? And so I think it's a great opportunity to help people understand that. And, um, you know, our hope is that uh, together we can, we can see the truth of Scripture and see what the Bible says and how it relates to these questions, ultimate questions about God, about how we know the truth, and so on. Absolutely. And, and really, our first topic for our first episode, it has to begin with the Bible. Right. What are we putting our faith in, and why can we trust the Bible? And the reason it's so important, I mean, even from an apologetic standpoint, to be able to defend our faith is because if we're not careful— and we don't do our due diligence, then we'll get caught in this circular reasoning. Well, I, I believe the Bible's true because the Bible says so. Right, right. And that just doesn't cut it in the age of Google. Right. And so, but we don't, we don't have to have blind faith. We have all the evidence in the world. We have all the proof in the world. And so if, if you were going to talk to somebody who was on the fence, maybe they were skeptical, uh, where will we start with that as far as the scriptures are concerned? How, how can we know? that we can trust the Bible as God's Word and not just some mythical work of fiction? Yeah, it's it's a great question. There's not an easy answer to that question either. Yes. Uh, we, If it was a simple thing, then everyone would just believe it. Um, but, uh, and, you know, a young man one time said this to me. He, he was turning atheist, and he had been Christian, and... He said, I wish that God would have just written the truth on something <laughs> that was unmovable. You know, like if he had written it in the sky or he had written it on the moon where you could, where clearly he wrote it and you could go and look at it and see it for yourself. And I said, well, but he did, though. He put it in his word. Absolutely. And we have his word. And we have his assurance that he keeps that word, that he preserves it, and that it is preserved. And not only that, but we have a record of its preservation. We can go back and look. We can see what, in the, for the Old Testament, what rabbis said about the Old Testament from hundreds, even thousands of years ago. We can see commentary from Christians that have spoken about the Word of God, even passages that are in dispute, so to speak, by scholars, uh, where we can see that churches and Christians, even, you know, we have the record of the Antonician fathers and so on, um, that have written about these things, spoken about these things. Um, what they were looking at is what we are looking at today. So we can be sure um, of these things uh, in that sense, 
that they have been around. They have the mark of being God's word, um, and uh, we can be sure of it. You know that it, some things are um, self-attesting. I guess is the yes. word I'm looking for. Self-attesting. Um, for instance, someone said, "If you go outside um, on a cloudless day and you look up in the sky in the middle of the daytime, you see the sun. No one needs to prove to you that the sun is bright. Yeah, you you can see it. It, it, it if if you were to deny it, you would have to deny the very meaning of brightness, which would involve denying the mean, meaning at all that word has words have meaning at all so you have this self-attesting truth of scripture when you look in scripture and when you examine what it says it doesn't say things that men would say no at all no it doesn't describe our experience the way we would describe it well it's not a man-centered book it doesn't start from man and work up to god it starts from a true and living God that has revealed himself, not only in Scripture, but in everything we see in creation, mm-hmm. and from that God down. But really, it all comes back to, and has to begin with, the foundational verse in Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, do- for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And in verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so... Uh, that word inspiration, theonoustos in the Greek, it literally means God breathed mm-hmm. or the breath of God. Mm-hmm. He inspired, he uh, overcame, for lack of a better term, uh, holy men of God. And they spake as the Holy Ghost moved them to speak. They wrote as he inspired them to write. Uh, this is proven. In fact, the Old Testament has over 1,800 prophecies. And most of those are fulfilled in the New Testament. The only ones that we're waiting on that haven't been fulfilled are the ones that we just haven't reached in time yet. It's unbelievable. In fact, Jesus Christ, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his own lifetime, and most of those were fulfilled in the last 24 hours of his life. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is, when you read from Genesis to Revelation, uh, in, a, in a very real way, even though it was written by approximately 40 authors over the span of about 1,400 years, it reads as if there is one author Mm -hmm. because there is one author. Right. You know, most of the authors, they never met each other. They never saw one another. They lived thousands of years apart from another. They were in uh, different parts of uh, that area. Mm -hmm. And so how how is that feasible? How is that possible? It's because ultimately it was written by an infinite God who is outside of time. Yeah. And it's so incredibly clear. Right. Yes. And um, it speaks of the truth, speaks of true things. It speaks the truth to us. It speaks truth that we don't want to hear that's not comfortable for us, that we're not even sometimes not willing to believe. It's interesting to me the number of people who will tell me that they believe the Bible, but then when you um, bring up certain things that the Bible clearly teaches, they will say, well, I don't agree with that. Right. Yes, that's the point. The Bible is not <laughs> speaking to you, trying to get you to, um, to, trying to get you um, to like it. 
the Bible is telling you the truth. And sometimes it's an uncomfortable truth. Quite often, in fact, what we see in Scripture is uncomfortable truth. Uh, But God speaking the truth to you for your good, because God, God sees all these things from above our experience, from outside of our experience, but also sees beyond our experience to the world and eternity that he's prepared for us and prepared us for. Yes. And man by himself could have and would have never written the Bible because it doesn't exalt man. Uh, every religion in the world, it has some way of exalting man and his abilities and his right. power. And the Bible is not a man-honoring book. Right. I mean, from beginning to end, even even from Genesis 3 on, we, we see the, the sin of man and the depravity of man and the wickedness of man. And the whole book is a humbling book to yeah. see how big God is and how small we are. Yeah. And... But there's so many things uh, outside of the Bible that we can look to to even help um, aid in this proof. Because once again, we we don't want to get stuck in the rut of, I, I believe the Bible's true because the Bible says it's true. Right. Now, with me, and I believe this has to be a starting place, it, it does start with faith. I mean, we don't start with existential evidence. It's not about confirmation uh, before you believe. Mm. It's about affirmation after you believe. Mm-hmm. And with me, um, I actually grew up in, in the Church of Christ, and um, you know they actually taught that you know baptism saves you, water baptism, and not even water baptism, but but water baptism within the Church of Christ. And so, at thirteen, I thought, you know what, well, I'd like to go to heaven, so I think I'll be baptized, and and I did. I got baptized, and as I like to tell people, I went down the old man. And came up the wet old man. Yeah. There was nothing in my heart, my life, my language, um, things I was looking at on the internet. Nothing changed in my life. And I remember thinking to myself, is that all there is to it? And of course it's not. And about a year later, I had a friend invite me to church. And I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. And we're going to have a podcast just on the gospel. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, it was so real. It was a supernatural thing. God saved me. I didn't go there looking for God. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go. I was trying to find girls, you know. I was mm-hmm. in middle school. and uh, But he, he came and found me. Yeah. And it was so real to me. And he changed my life so drastically. My, he changed my heart, gave me a new heart. And I realized that if the gospel pr- from the Word of God is this true, I have absolutely no reason to doubt anything in there. Mm-hmm. But since then... There's been things that have affirmed that the Bible's true. And in fact, um, I'm actually uh, going back to school for a different degree right now and uh, going through Old Testament survey and and uh, specifically out of the Old uh, Testament text, it's actually a, a book on the Old Testament. It's called The Word in the World. It's considered a scholarly masterpiece. And there's a section there where they talk about archaeology and the manuscript evidence. And I won't spend a whole lot of time on that. I mean, we, we could literally fill up volumes of that. But probably the most amazing thing about that is uh, he talked about the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls back in 1947, mm-hmm. 1948. And th- this, as a Christian, this is so amazing to me to hear because uh, when it comes to the Old Testament, our Old Testament scriptures, obviously the original's long gone. 
We don't have the original autographs. They're long gone. And so we have copies of copies of copies of copies going back thousands and thousands of years ago when we didn't have a printing press. We didn't have smartphones. We could take pictures of everything and Google documents. And so um, our Old Testament scriptures come to us from manuscripts that are only about a thousand years old, give or take. Now, you're, you're talking about about 5,000 years from Adam about 3,300 years from Abraham, um, long, long way away. And so there's always been a question, Mark, well, how in the world could it possibly be preserved to a point where we can actually trust it? Mm. Well, what's amazing about the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls is they go back almost 2,000 years ago. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they have portions of every Old Testament book except for Esther and an entire copy of the book of Isaiah. Mm. Now, what's amazing about this is when it came out that manuscripts from 2,000 years ago, as opposed to the manuscripts that our Bible, our Old Testament translated from about 1,000 years ago, the atheists, the humanists, the secularists, they could not wait to see these manuscripts because if they can prove that the manuscripts from 2,000 years ago are completely different than the manuscripts that our Old Testament translated from a thousand years ago, they could literally put a death nail mm. in our Bible. Mm-hmm. What we believe, the scriptures that we've taught and preached, we would literally have to throw our Bibles in the garbage can. Mm-hmm. But what they found was it was so incredibly accurate. Mm to our English Bible today that you never hear them talk about it. Mm-hmm. You, you don't hear an atheist podcast talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. You don't. Uh, you just don't see it. They don't talk about it because there, there was almost zero mm-hmm. discrepancies, mm-hmm. minimal copyist errors that could immediately be recognized. Mm-hmm. And so instead of being a death nail to our Bible, it was a death nail to their atheism. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but they're not going to give up that easily. No. No, <laughs> for sure. Yes. Well, um, you know, it, it's one of the um, controversial things here uh, in Utah, uh, whether the Bible is reliable or not. And the two common, commonplace ideas that we encounter here in Utah are, first of all, come, come directly from their Articles of Faith, the Eighth Article of Faith, um, in the LDS Church, we believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. Um, that's their first thing. So it, they see it as qualify. They qualify the reliability of it. Um, and then, secondly, I, I, just a commonplace explanation that we hear frequently here in Utah is this, that the Bible has passed through so many men's hands. Mm-hmm. So then it can't be reliable. And in fact, that observation is based on um, the belief that the early church fathers or early church leaders, um, either purposely or accidentally or both, removed or changed important gospel truths, um, re- removed or eliminated certain passages, and so on, that that proclaimed gospel truth. Um, and in fact, in First Nephi 13 and verse 28, um, the Book of Mormon says, Wherefore thou seest that after the book hath gone through the hands of the great and abominable church, 
that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. So this is what we regularly encounter when we're dealing with Scripture. And of course, the things that we believe are based on what we see in Scripture. So when we are presenting the gospel, when we're explaining what we believe and why we believe it, we will point to the Word of God because we believe it to be the very Word of God, because it has come from the mouth of God, um, that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I don't know that our LDS friends necessarily refute that. I think that they believe that the Bible is inspired, that it came from the mouth of God. But they don't believe that it's reliable in the sense that, or because of the fact that, number one, they don't believe it has always been translated properly, number two, or correctly. Number two, and I think more importantly, they believe that it's been corrupted, that it's been, that it has passed through so many men's hands that certain things have been lost. And so, of course, in the LDS church, their belief is that the, um, that Joseph Smith has restored those truths and gospel principles and so on. And a couple of things about that. I, I think about what Jesus said in Matthew twenty four thirty five: heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Right. And then that kind of comes full circle to what we just said about the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have concrete proof that it hasn't changed. Right. And it's not going to change. Right. And so... I really think it's dangerous when, you see, the Word of God is so wonderful because it holds everybody accountable. When I stand before my church and I preach the Word of God, it's not only preaching to them, it's preaching to me. I'm being held accountable by an outside objective standard. But when you have somebody come along, a a charismatic religious leader, who says, oh, it's, it's been lost or it's it's passed through so many men's hands, it's untrustworthy. But but God has given me revelation to where I can understand it, I can fill in the blanks. Now instead of the scriptures holding that man accountable, that man is now holding the scriptures accountable, and he is law unto himself. Right. And it's it that mentality is so dangerous. Don't believe the Bible. Believe what I say about the Bible, or believe me instead of the Bible. Yeah. It. Every truth claim has to have a standard. There has to be something that supports that truth claim. Um, And certainly among those who, between Christians and atheists, the the standard is obvious, it's stark, um, the contrast is stark um, between them, what they believe to be authoritative as opposed to what a Christian believes to be authoritative. Um, But among those who believe in God, which would include Um, the LDS, as well as Orthodox Christianity, Um, there also is a competition of standards. There's uh, what what is standard, what is authoritative, what is the source of authority? And um, so, of course, among our LDS neighbors, um, that standard is that God is still revealing things to us to this day, um, and that there is a need for fresh revelation, um, which, of course, is mediated through a person, through a man, um, for, for in this day, modern day, 
um, the LDS would say that their living prophet is the mediator of God's revelation to us now, and that that mediation is is um, meaningful, relevant to us, and so on. Um, the Orthodox Christian viewpoint is that Scripture speaks to all ages, all times, that the truth of Scripture is relevant in for everything, that there, God is not silent on any issue, and that we can find His mind, His will, by looking in the Word of God, where God has revealed Himself and His will, His truth, His doctrine, to us. And our job is, as people, to find what He's saying in the Word of God, and believe it, embrace it, and apply it to every situation that arises. And in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that God is not the author of confusion. And it becomes very confusing when you're getting men that claim that they're they're getting new revelation from God, and that revelation directly contradicts what he's clearly said in his word. And, you know, in, even in a situation we're seeing right now, uh, many religious groups that used to be uh, against homosexuality and, you know, they held to God's standard of biblical marriage, one man, one woman, one lifetime. Now, all of a sudden, right. they're getting new revelation that says, well, you know, God, God's kind of changed his mind about this. Yeah. And so when I look at that, do I really believe that God has changed his holy mind? Right. And by the way, the only way that God can change his mind is if he gets new information, if he learns something new. And God never learns anything new because he already knows everything. Right. And so do, do I really believe that God has changed his mind and done a 180 on human sexuality? Or do I be believe that these men are trying to be relevant to a society right. that now believes that that's not only acceptable but honorable? Right. It's going to be the latter all day long. God has not changed. These men have changed, and they've tried to to make their position more relevant. And so can we go with the Scriptures, thus saith the Lord, or do we go with what these prophets are saying with this new revelation that directly contradicts mm -hmm. what God has said? I'd like to get into this a little bit in the next segment. I think we gave a lot of stuff yeah. in that one. Let's um, deal directly with um, what with the things the LDS Church says. Yeah, um, we could go as deep with this as we want to. We could take it as long as we want to, um, but we do want to try to keep our podcast to around thirty minutes, so we don't beat a dead horse on any given subject. The bottom line is, folks, we can trust our Bible. It's been inspired by God. It's been preserved by God, and every attempt to debunk it has been defeated. Hmm. It has withstood the greatest scrutiny throughout thousands of years, and we can trust the Bible. We can trust the Word of God, and if we can't believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, we can't believe the rest of it. So you know, we could talk about the science. We could talk about the manuscripts. We could talk about prophecies fulfilled. And I'm sure that we'll, we will, by default, get into all those things yeah. throughout the rest of our podcast. But I just want you to know as we shut this first episode down, understand you can trust the Word of God. You can yeah. take it to the bank. If you've got any questions, comments, criticisms, you can reach out to us. Uh, my email address is preacherofgrace at yahoo.com. 
That's preacherofgrace at yahoo.com. And if you do that, uh, throw us out some questions. Maybe we'll get to deal with it on a future podcast. And uh, how can people contact you? My email address is p, p as in pastor, my last name, M-A-L-L-I-N-A-K at gmail.com. So be sure and reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, We promise we'll be nice as we go forward. So anyway, we love you. Until next week, God bless.